Hello and welcome to Getting It Down, capturing the moment of creativity. I'm your host, Andy Gordon, and in this podcast I chat with creative people and ask the questions, what is creativity? How do you be creative and how do you help people express that creativity? These are questions that might be hard to put your finger on, but when you do, you can feel the pulse. So sit back, make yourself comfortable and listen in. This episode of Getting It Down, we've travelled over hills and across flood plains to arrive at Ranch Barnum, the home of Andrew and Lisa Barnum. Thank you very much for having me here, Andrew. You're very welcome, Andy. Sorry, mate. I'll open up your microphone. Thank you, man. <laughs> um, we were having a nice little yap before we went into red. Um, mm. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you about this because I know that... Um, that you do like to talk about creativity. You're definitely not afraid of the idea. No, uh, it's the slipperiest question. It's mm. the slipperiest word. In emails, you've been writing backwards and forwards to me the C word, which <laughs> <laughs> I get a little grin every time you do it. Well, 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 you know, to, to go into this, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're leading up to the question, what is the C word? What is, what is this thing, creativity? And, uh, I, I actually had to go away and learn learn this because I wrote a, a thesis at, at UTS on um, on reimagining or redefining creativity for the particular age that we're in, and you start to learn that creativity, as one of the most famous people said, I'm not going to quote him, but he says, uh, creativity is always something else and something different. Yeah, right. Well. But 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 generally. When people say the word creativity, I think that what they're really saying is, how do I feel inspired? How do I feel motivated? How do I feel expressive? How do I feel artistic? Whereas the actual notion of creativity as such tends to be more of a result yeah, right. of, of that action mm. or, or uh, art and the expression Problem solving don't really fit together. They're not good bedfellows, mm. but but creativity as such tends to be, and I'm and I'm quoting from the heavy lifter of all time, um, Mahaley Csikszentmihalyi, uh, who wrote the great book Flow. He he basically says that creativity is not actually an artistic thing. It's the it's the measurement or the judgment. Of, of the leap that someone has made in the thing that they have made. Like if you're saying, I want, to, I want to write a new song, and you write the new song, and people kind of say, well, I like your old stuff better. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is a measure of the creativity of your action. That, well, so, and a lot of people who are in the arts, they go, no, man, I, creativity, it's when I feel free, when I feel inspired, when I just feel the juices flowing. And I go, well, that may not be the C word. Mm. Wow. <laughs> what is it if it isn't? Well, you see, that's the thing. Uh, if you're saying creativity comes from the word create or creation, you know, if you go back into back into the to the origins of what is now a field of study mm. creativity is a field of study mm. uh, we have to go to darwin and before darwin when when he su- suddenly started to realize because most people had just the assumption was creation is something that comes from the almighty yeah of course yeah it's n- it's not it's not actually us at all whereas he so he went away in a ship for a, a year or two, and came back and said, uh, "Dear, dear institutions, I'd just like to let you know that that previous notion of understanding what creation is, uh, it's 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 incorrect, mm. Mm. <laughs> and I have the following proof." And of course, he was howled down as a heretic. Mm. You know, he was he was a godless heretic mm. when actually he was really basically trying to explain that creation is not necessarily a divine act. It's a, it's a thing done by animals, a thing done by nature, ecosystems, man included, etc., mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. 
Wow. Is that an answer to your question at all? It's perfect. Could you give me the answer now, he says? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that turns everything on its head too, doesn't it? Which is... Um... Well, look, as far as I'm concerned, uh, creativity is a, is, a, is a buzzword. It's a go-to word. It's a catch-all word. And to me, it's not actually catching what you're talking about. Mm. So, you see, I teach this subject uh, at JMC Academy called uh, Creative Process. Right. And, and it's basically it, my first uh, meeting with the new students uh, who are animation students, designers, game designers, all, all kinds. And I ask them the question, what is creativity? And, right. you, get, and you get all the usual answers. Right. It's my expression. It's something spontaneous. It's something that's deep within, you know, it's like a, a, an array of things. Mm, mm -hmm. And I have to come back to them and sort of say, well, listen, you're coming, to, you're coming to this college because you actually want to potentially make this a career, what, what you are studying, what you're thinking about. So if, you're, if you are, you've got to very quickly learn that, that your art is very different than potentially what a commercial product might be mm. so somewhere between in those two points they have to m kind of come to grips with what commercial creativity might be mm. and uh the word problem solving unfortunately tends to it means as i said before it's the leap between the previous version of what you're making and the new version of what you're making mm. and like how much have you pushed that envelope? How much have you changed the paradigm? How much risk have you taken? Mm. How much novelty have you injected in your in your new solution? Very corporate word. But um, that's really what it comes down to. And I, uh, the way I say it is like when you and your best friend go to a film that you love and you see the movie... And you, as you're walking out, you turn to each other and you either say, that was the most incredible life-changing thing that I've ever seen, or you say, what a piece of shit, we're never going to get that time back. <laughs> and, and right there is the measurement of creativity. Yeah, That's right. the judgment. Right. That's the judgment, the success, the failure of the leap, so wow. to speak. Wow. <laughs> That's that. I, I'm talking from the literature, baby, basically more than m maybe myself. But I, I have learned that, you know, you, you talk in your intro about this creative moment. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not too sure how that really happens. It's, a, it's an incandescent kind of moment. It's when people say something or they draw something or they throw a word in or there's a snare crack or there's a sound made and maybe that's the distillation of that leap you kind of go mm. that's it mm. we're feeling it we've moved it we've moved it from over here to over here it's mm. now taking on a more interesting exciting fascinating shape and maybe that's the zone that we're talking about how do we get to there mm. Mm. and can you tell me how we get to there well, I often uh, I often think that that a skill set is related to that as well. Like, yeah. Um, I don't know that you can just decide you're going to be creative. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's just going to happen. You know. Yeah. So I, I and I think it's not incompatible with what you're saying either that um, it can be those. Uh, moments in time, but uh, that they are, they're arrived at by that thought and that um, that action, mm. that plan, that that agreement, but always the little bit of magic that happens between people, whether it be one or two or fifteen, mm. uh, all of that is generating sparks. And that potentially is setting up that zone where something is going to happen. Yeah. Something, something unexpected, uh, dare say, better than me on my own doing my usual thing. Mm. It's, the, it's that unexpected thing is what maybe 
if we're talking about definitions, that's the thing that actually gives you the ability to say, we got together and we made this thing and it was really creative. Hmm. Because that's a better definition of it. Yeah. You know, cre- creativity uh, from parents' point of view as they're, uh, as they're congratulating or boasting about their kids' great achievements, they tend to say, my daughter is so creative. It's true. Whereas actually what they're saying is my daughter is so talented, mm. expressive, um, inspired. But to say the word creative, it's like, uh, excuse me, um, Mrs. Dear Mother, uh, <laughs> show me what they've made. Mm. And if you see, see and you go, yeah, you're right, that's really fantastic. I think we can actually put the C, the C stamp of approval on it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. Well, so, so that's, that's my take on, on this whole thing. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, as I said, it's a catch-all word. People tend to use it because it's the first word that seems to capture mm. this uh, chemical moment. Mm. So, no, that's that's intriguing, Andrew. Um, your your approach is so multidisciplinary. Mm. Um, mm. You uh, you come at um, everything that you do from so many angles. But something that really amazes me is that um, you seem to really like collaboration, and whether that's something that um, is also helpful in the way that you teach younger people um, to be artful mm. and creative or whether mm. that whether you take that into your own practice. But it's something that I have observed that um, you seem to definitely enjoy that process and it's yeah. probably informed almost everything you've done. Well, is it, that fair? Well, it's, 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 it's um, I think it's about scale. Like you, you yourself, with the guitar around your neck or the pencil in your hand or the paintbrush in your hand, you know, it's, it's you versus the world on your own. But if you actually start to build relationships, sit in a living room with somebody else and play the song and have somebody else sing along with you, these things, you, you are instantly building a bigger network of influence because that friend is going to tell their friend and all of a sudden without you actually doing anything you're kind of building the network mm. and these days uh the network is everything mm. the, ne- the network you know you're too young andy you're you're not a you're not really a pre-digital person you kind of are, you kind of are you were right on that cusp when you were young yeah you were on the on the cusp where there was still there was Digital seemed to be the horizon, but it, there was still a lot of analog involved. Hmm. But now, uh, analog, analog—it's a—it's more of a flavor <laughs> in a digital space. Sure, it's a filter. It's a filter, exactly. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so to go back to your point, though, this whole collaborative thing—I just see it at work, and and. Because I think that, um, especially young people, they, they need the socialisation. They need to actually spend time together in a room making mistakes where, uh, and, and failing because failing is learning. Learning is failing. Mm. Uh, people hate, you know, let's add this, the F word to the C word. Mm. Like f- failure is just not an option. But, but you know as well as I do, mm. a- anything that has stood the test of time, has gone through a constant uh, refining, failing, learning, changing, new parts, new new engineering, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, absolutely. It, it's, absu- it's absolutely mm. necessary. And mm. so sometimes I think ha- having other people around you, somebody to say, don't worry, your thing was really great, you just didn't do this, mm. it just it makes them go, oh, okay. Thank, thank you. That was not a cruel blow, <laughs> because uh, kids take uh, critique when they're young very criti- very personally. Mm, they do. And why wouldn't you? Mm. Why wouldn't you? And I think uh, the creative moment needs a, a lot of focus on where we're trying to get to, mm. but also not putting too fine a point on that 
kind of perfection, which is a terrible... Perfection is a terrible taskmaster because it's impossible to achieve. Oh, yeah. You, you just can't. No. You can, you can try. You know, ask a Swiss watch, watchmaker. He might be able to give you the truth on that. Yeah. But for people like us, you know, per- perfection is it, it's a hurdle. Mm. It's a handbrake. Whereas just I, make... I yeah. actively avoid it. Yes, you do. Mm. Yeah, because you realise that it's kind of unachievable and why not have the rough edges? Mm. Why not keep the rough edges? Like keep the grain of the thing intact. Don't try to sand it off to make it perfectly smooth. So why do you want it to be perfectly smooth? Mm. Like who, why? Why do we need it so perfectly sanded smooth? Mm. But we digress, Andy. <laughs> of course, that's my that's my stock and trade. I think, and um, and teaching young people, um, what's that like to watch their perceptions change and their mindset change and grow? Yeah, it's it it's the big reward. Uh, right. That's what. That's probably it, it's one of the gifts of teaching to to watch. Uh, people go from a kind of a rigid understanding of something uh, to be in a collective situation where they start to go, do you know what, I don't need to maybe be so rigid. Maybe Mm. I can let this float around a little bit more because I really liked what that kid said. I really liked their drawing and I liked... And so, you know, it is a social... um, system of sorts a Mm. classroom Mm. a live classroom because you know Mm. uh size shape loudness of voice (laughs) uh amount of talent it tends to be the alpha force Mm. and then you've got the others who are maybe not quite there and then you've got the others who are really just bystanders for a while Mm. but um the thing that gets everybody going is the assessment, of course, when you actually have to submit something for assessment or, or present it to the class for assessment. Mm. So all of these forces of socialisation are all part of the creative moment and the creative enterprise. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is. Yeah, art school and design school. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they are great openers of the mind i feel like you yeah know? Uh, art school and design school are like polar opposites oh really oh well i i learned this through seeing my daughter who who began at design school just like i did and seeing her kind of and and it's to me it's a very 21st century thing it's it's the idea that um there are arts that are commercialized and industrialized mm. and then there are there is personal expression and artistic expression that is encouraged to remain unfettered mm-hmm. unconstrained and to me that's the difference between design school and, and art school art school is you are teaching the individual to grow mm. still with others but with the end because the the true artist is somebody who doesn't ask for permission, yeah. doesn't ask for advice, mm-hmm. doesn't ask for um, is this okay? Mm-hmm. Whereas the designer is designing for others, uh, to others, to quote, quote a famous designer. Uh, so the, this whole this whole thing of um, art uh, art has every purpose but no purpose. It's totally personal. Whereas design is always we're trying to we're trying to uh, have an endpoint. We're trying to actually have an effect. Mm-hmm. Like a communication effect or uh, it's gonna be easier to juice the orange or you know if it's an industrial design. It's it's all the it's it has a purpose. It, it's it's inherent in the in the design process to have a purpose for doing something. Yeah. Whereas yeah. art doesn't necessarily need to. Yeah, yeah. But it can still have an incredibly life-changing effect on someone else. Yes. In the listening to it, looking at it, experiencing it, watching it, being immersed in it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. But the the artist wakes up in the morning and goes, 
I've just got to do more paintings today. Mm. Uh, you know, I just remember uh, Picasso, he, he would just paint in his cave-like studio in Spain and his gallerist would show up once a month and look at the look at what was on offer and say because he he had a view of what the market was buying or not marking he would look at 15 paintings and say sign that one and that one and that one those are the ones that we're going to put into the gallery right. the other ones you can just keep here at home they're very nice they're lovely they're Thank yours you very much. but but they I I know these ones right I can I can see them being purchased. Right. So so you can see the art market, uh, the art market and the design market are very two very different spaces. Complementary for sure. Design needs artistry, mm. artisanship, uh, being able to make things using software, using tools, using craft, all that kind of thing. But it's always tends to be the surf in the service of a purpose. Yeah. Right. Whereas art is in the service of pure expression of yes. an individual yeah yeah where does creativity fits in the, in these two spheres well Wendy? there you go <laughs> well you seem to walk quite comfortably between the two for mm. the casual observer mm. well that i i i'm very fortunate to have grown up as a designer in a time when design was still appreciated for its artistic leanings right whereas i think now uh design is extremely systematized oh is that right well i i think when you when you because we're all operating within a thousand websites and a thousand signups and a thousand subscriptions and if you are not instantly comfortable with that interface you may just click out of the tab <laughs> But if if you are finding it that you're navigating it intuitively, you will continue. And so design is part of that. It's also it's almost making it um, totally seamless. So the minute to suddenly inject some sort of artistic um, expression into that, for some designers today, they may go, "What's that doing here?" Really? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. It's a lot of function. Right. Digital stuff is a lot about function. Right. Do you think that goes to the attention span concept as well, or do you think that's been with us forever? No, I think I think the attention span has been shortened right. because of digital interactivity. Right. Because, well, if I think of my daughter and her and people younger than her who have grown up but nothing but digital technology... Mm. There is a there's an inbuilt kind of reward system to interactivity. You know, if you do this, you win this, or you get this, or you get this three to five star review, or you're rated on TripAdvisor. You know, it's mm. it. There's a much more inbuilt kind of function yeah. that, that doesn't doesn't. I I wish it it was maybe more inspiring. But in a lot of in a lot of these, because we're dealing with huge populations that are using this stuff, mm. you know, when I look at, at at all of these platforms that you know um, kids are using, whether it be Instagram, whether it be TikTok, whether it be YouTube, whatever it might be, um, it's actually very sophisticated for a purely analog uh, making maker, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who paints on paper mm. <laughs> or somebody who takes photographs and processes film you know these again we're, we're talking like we talked before about it being a flavor mm -hmm. it's it's no longer seen as being the mainstream production mm. method mm. so we it's 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 a it's an interesting time like that but still you know music has to move you it has to touch your emotion otherwise you're not you're not going to really respond to it maybe mm. so no matter how systematized something is uh especially in i think in digital music you you are still getting people who are no matter how pre-programmed or pre um uh digested the 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 
tools are for making the music, the injection of the voice and the human voice and their, hum- and their story in the song, it still manages to stay alive. Mm. And that, that loops right back to this thing of, so what is creativity? Mm. I think it's, it's the fact that you're able to touch a human with, you, with the thing that you're made. They, they feel something in their stomach. They feel something. The hairs stand up on the back of their neck. Uh, it's, it, it becomes very memorable. It's visceral. It's in the skin. It's not just in the mind. Hmm. When do you reckon you had your first experience of that? Do you remember? Uh, uh, of actually... That feeling. Feeling. Yeah. Oh, Andy. Uh it, let me let me well it's got to be sort of separated into i think into art and design or music because they are such different production spaces right Do you, don't you agree oh i guess so well cuz our, our I, I think, uh, music is physical yeah it's air and yeah. hands moving and instruments being clonked and played or bashed or strummed etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah. pianos whereas Drawing, designing, uh, working with typography, making images, it's, it's much more lone yeah. in a way. It's much more individual. Yeah. I must say I sat in a room in the art gallery recently uh. in the last few years and there was one of those Brett Whiteley panels there that had mm. about nine panels. Oh, yeah, I know um, the work you mean. And I sat in that room for probably half an hour, and I can tell you the air was moving. <laughs> it was yeah, it yeah, was a yeah. physical feeling as yeah, well. Yeah, that's um, that's fantastic. But that, but that might say more about how lyrical and how musical his work is, and and then that's my reaction to it. Well, too, it's it's almost like uh, well, Brett uh, Whiteley was very physical, yeah. like you know, big paintings, uh, charcoal drawings, like kind of raw not and not technically you know it was it was um kind of elastic in terms of what he would paint mm. he would like a, if you think about that um lavender bay painting the mm. all blue there's a kind of a face in a mirror there's yes. a kind of a bridge over here but it's 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 alive with living yes. it's alive with his life and his energy his viscera so to speak true well well, to go back to your question i I seem to remember when we first played when i got my first electric guitar a japanese copy with a little kind of moody amp a little tiny you know tiny because that's all you got when you were a kid you didn't you didn't you couldn't afford having like a, a real amp well, I you like just, my just old kind of little moodies. Huh? I like my old little moody. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, but I, re, I remember when we when we first played mm. Gloria. Yes. You know, E D A E D A, and it just felt, it just felt alive and yeah. happening and electric. Yeah, and visceral and all those kind of words, and so that was the beginning. It was uh, House of the Rising Sun and Gloria. How old do you think you were? Then? Oh, fifteen, right? Fourteen, right? It was fifth grade, right. fifth class is when I. It was all. It it kind of went. The arrival of uh, Beatles, please please me. Uh, first, a small acoustic guitar and guitar lessons, and then first. Teenage band. Yeah. Yeah. With three of us. And was that the end? <laughs> that, Did your life change I'm still there. I'm, yeah, still, yeah. I'm still frigging in that spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're, like when we went and recorded, it's that same spell. Yes. Yeah. It's just a moment in time where you're there and, and you just make whatever you're making. And it just feels, it, it feels a, a little transcendent. Yep. It feels transcendent from... <laughs> Uh, logging into a website. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think um, time stops for me at that point too, you know. It is. Um, exactly. Everything changes. Well, you're, Atoms. You're, you're absolutely plugging into what Chicks and Mihai says. When he talks about the flow, it, it's, it's the time where 
your skills, your intention, your artistry, your past experience, all these kind of things align like stars. Mm. And you are kind of suspended in this space. Mm. And whether, whether it be the three-minute song or Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you know, what, what, whatever the length of the work is, yeah. you, you are suspended in the grip of that of that space and that creation, mm. and it and it's not like being in the in the regular driving your car, logging to website world. Mm. It's not. Mm. It's removed, and uh, it's something that I think that we 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 are constantly, um, uh, not knowingly that we're trying to get back to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like when I see my daughter just drawing. With, with with maybe music playing, with maybe um, YouTube on in the corner as well with some sort of voice or something. But she's drawing. Mm. And and to me, it's that, that space is a refuge. Yeah, right. It's a sanctuary. Yes. It's a divine space, dare mm. I say. Mm. We've come all, ra- all right back to the start. <laughs> yes, back to Darwin. Yeah. Back to Darwin arguing yeah. in front of the board board of, of of the church yeah basically trying to say i'm sorry guys it's not what you thought mm. it's mm. something else there's mm. something bigger uh well but it's it is sort of divine and um transcendent and removed and unique and that's why it's so dangerous and magnetic yeah because it's mm. where we always kind of want to be yeah Mm. Try make a career out of that, man. <laughs> well, that's the difficult thing, isn't it? It is. Well, that's mm. funny, but that's actually the creative thing. Yeah, I, I get that. You're, you're, you're pushing into exactly what it takes. How am I going to put bread on the table, play my wig out songs, paint my, my transcendent abstract art, and somehow pay the bills? Yeah. Somewhere in there, there's probably some sort of real job. I hate to say it. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, yeah. so so you do one thing to fuel the other. Mm. You you you, and it was born in 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 the uh, creative industry discourse. This idea of a portfolio career, right? And I think that's kind of what we all do. Right. You do this to feed this, to feed this, to feed this. And this is this is really, it doesn't fit into the rule book very easily, right? It because it, it you're actually saying, uh, for me to be to achieve this creative uh, output that I like, or or I feel uh, inspired to do, um, it, it's a, it's a, not an easy thing. It's mm. not an easy thing. It's not a streamlined, straight up thing. It's like you you have to be. Juggling, mm. don't you agree? Don't, yeah. don't yeah. we all juggle? Aren't we all good jugglers in this mm. creative industry? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So maybe we should have a class where you get given two balls, but by the end you get given three. Yeah. So you, yeah. you just do one up down, and then you learn to throw the third one in. Yep. Yep. And then you can advance to four if you're doing really well. And then a chainsaw. <laughs> and then firing flaming poles. Or, yeah. Yeah. Maybe juggling is the measure of creativity. Well, I, I think that that's, that's closer to what the, the actual word really does mean. Goodness, yes. Yeah. What a lovely, what a lovely vision. <laughs> this, this new work, Andrew, um, mm. and it's, are you calling it Dear Ancestor? Dear Ancestor... Uh, and ended up being the title after we played with five different titles, and B- Boris basically uh, said, "This song, the sentiment of the song, which is this idea of speaking to somebody about the past for the future, sent t- tended to be the overarching sentiment of what ended up being the nine songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, it, it kind of just it just sounded right." You know, mm. you know, how do you how do you come up with an album title? Do you come up with it first yeah, and then one, and then and then paint within the lines created by that or does it just appear as the obvious title? 
Mm, it depends on the project, doesn't it? Yeah. I think I've gone both ways in the past. I'm sure you have too. Yeah, yeah. You, you, start, you start the project with here's the title and here's the cover and this is what, what it's going to be. Or you go, let's wait and see what it is. Yeah. Well, it, a good example of that is uh, designing book covers. You know, you don't design the book cover until it's, the book is absolutely written and <laughs> finished and you're handed the manuscript, you read it, and you go, this is actually about this dog. So you put the dog on the cover. Mm. And people go, the book is called Southern Something, and but there's a dog on the cover. And you go, what's the connection? But that's, that's, that's the creative approach. You know, you, do, you, don't, you don't draw the cover of your book and then write the book to fit that image. Mm, true. You write the book and then you find the cover that that sums up what's been written. Mm. Mm. Ask book, book designers. They probably go both ways, just like you said. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I haven't spoken to a book designer yet. Oh, I, 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 could, I could sick you on one. That would be an interesting <laughs> conversation. It's, yeah. Wow, where does... You'd have to read the work, though, wouldn't you? It seems impossible to imagine that you could design a book cover without reading it. Well, yeah, or, or, a, or a good chunk, uh, you know, a really strong summary. It. Yeah. So you can kind of go, I can see, I, can, I have a different vision of what the author has because yeah. I'm, I'm seeing an overview of the thing. I'm seeing the thing more metaphorically yeah. versus just seeing famous book designer named Chip Kidd. He says... The worst thing that you can do to a book cover, if the book is called Camel in the Sunset, is to have a picture of a camel Camel in the sunset sunset on the front. (laughs) This is like that's the anathema of 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 what good book design is. You know, you you want to see something that's going to be attractive to the eye. It's going to make you go, ooh, what's this all about? Look at the back, see what people have written, et cetera, stuff, and then maybe buy it or buy it as a present, whatever it might be. But... A literal take of something, yeah, pretty limited. It's it's it it's it's good if you're if you're um, selling uh, something on the shelf at Bunnings, maybe. Sure, but not in a yeah. not in a Thinking book Thinking camel cigarettes back in the day was perfect, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you think about it. You think about it, you're like, why were they ever called that? Yeah, yeah. Why would it be? Why would we have unfiltered cigarettes in a packet? With this beautiful painting of a camel in front of the pyramids, yeah, like it, <laughs> it was exotic, I guess. Well, someone see, thought it was exotic. See, you, so that's that. That brings me back to this point of maybe a more um, expressive, imaginative media versus a media that, that at the moment just feels like. Bits and bytes being shunted down the train line. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like fitting something in because it has to be like this, otherwise people won't recognise what it is. Mm. Mm. And to me, that's that's been what where digital has been. At times, you you could say that it's been very successful uh, in achieving its purpose. But what has it done to the society in regards to the? Uh, expression the the talented expressive folks yeah you 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 don't walk down the main street and every single cafe is uh beautifully designed with great artwork and great ambiance mm. one in ten shops are like that am i right yeah absolutely in fact you'd be lucky if that was the um percentage so wouldn't you? so so what does that say mm. what does that say i just need a shop that looks like a shop so people will come in the shop. Mm. Or do you actually say, this is a site, I'm looking to appeal to people, I want them to feel something by coming here, mm. and on that row of, street, of, of the street, which one has the most people in it? Yeah, I wonder. Well, ask Woolies, they'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> they'll tell you. But let's get back to Dear Ancestor. Okay. I want to hear more about that. Oh, okay. So um, a whole a whole bunch of songs written at various times, starting as far back as 2012, right up to uh, you know the month before. And if you recall, we turned up at Boris's place 
So this is Andy Gordon playing the bass from the couch, uh, Lewis, uh, Lucius Culleton playing the drums, Boris, Boris kind of running proceedings. And playing the drum machine. Playing the drum machine, choosing the, the drum loops that uh, Lucius would sit with. And I just supplied kind of the songs with, with kind of A4 pages yeah. uh, with lyrics and chords written on them. You yeah, know, not, yeah. not what you'd call technically, because I, I know there are musicians who are very, very... The iPod set, the iPad set. Oh, yeah. Who have... And, and there and that that's really reassuring. But we we went into that into those sessions. Uh, it was literally one afternoon, and then the next day, if you recall. Yeah. And we actually ran down twenty seven songs. Was it, was it that many? <laughs> of which, and the hilarious thing, uh, talk, talking about this, uh, what creativity is, Boris says, I'll, uh, it's going to take a while for me to figure this out. I'm going to have to listen to these. I'm going to have to see which ones have got, have got the legs, which ones I think are going to work to go forward with. Uh, so I'll be back to you in a week. I go home. The next day he, he texts me the order. Really? <laughs> he says, here are the survivors. Wow. Here, here are the ones. And so from there on in, it was just... Um, uh, a few overdubs, uh, some pianos, some keyboards. I did the final vocals from Maru Meadow mm-hmm. and dropboxed them over to Canimbla, as we do. And uh, then it was all kind of glued together. And then uh, I think I sent you the the final thing on SoundCloud like six weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'll be putting the actual compact disc in your hand compact disc what do i do with those i know well you've got a car don't you that's what it is <laughs> when i first got my last album i um i opened it and then went oh let's have a listen to it and i looked around the house and there wasn't a single thing in the house that i could play it on not a computer not a laptop all of no. the players have gone out of those that they, was it they had- i had to sit in the car it was great. I sat <laughs> well, in the car and listened to the whole damn thing. So, so that's for all you CD listeners out there, you know, <laughs> sitting in your cars. Uh, that's it. Tends to be the way because you know Apple, who who a- Apple calls the shots on the way media will be delivered, yep. and as you've seen it from the beginning, the CD arrived in the computer. I'm not sure when. Hmm. It was it was it like eighties, late eighties, early nineties that yeah, all of a sudden there was a computer with a slot for a CD in the side or something. Well, what happened? What happened when the Vitabeats were finishing up? Because that was eighty eight. What was happening around there? Well, we you? had no. Did you have a CD? There was no CD made. No, it would have been cassettes and LPs, wouldn't it? And, but the crazy thing is that the masters were on VHS cassettes. VHS or pneumatic. 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 So thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you for yeah. the qualification. Yes. Yeah. Big old pneumatic yeah. digital thing. Yeah. That now I don't think anybody could even play. No, it's that's one of those things that probably isn't in a mastering suite anymore. We've probably got half inch tape in mastering suites again. Probably. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't think anything goes out on pneumatic anymore. No, so 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 what really was a fairly experimental digital record yep. with 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 live drums played along to sequence parts mm. at 301 with John B. It was with me, was it? With John B, of course. Oh. And and he uh, he was really always open for something. And there were stu- studio guys that, that he'd worked with all the time, Kenny Francis and, and many others, Sam McNally. Pre, before that, Sam was in the in the kind of the very early part of um, Vitabeats. Was he when we were playing and running songs together uh, at his apartment in Rose Bay, <laughs> with his complete Oberheim setup? Yeah, but we we actually turned all that stuff into uh, cassettes to put into a cassette player on stage right. to play along with. Right, a couple of tracks. 
couple of tracks, but yeah. that that was kind of the way that we were doing it. And then, so so um, much much to John B's chagrin, what was digitally mixed and digitally mastered ended up on vinyl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> vinyl and cassette. Yeah, which to him is just like torture. Right. right. You know the the quality of what you're hearing from the digital tape in the fantastic studio to be transferred into vinyl is just like for him it was like a 50% degradation kind right. of thing wow well, well but that was that was just the way it worked yeah i guess so a million yeah. years ago yeah true true not so long but still long enough mm. yeah mm. yeah so so uh the dear ancestor is album number 8 from, yeah. the, from the marriage of Boris and Andrew. It's, which is, again, incredible. And over how many years? Uh, started in 93. Right. 93. And the first thing that we actually did together was, uh, I'm not sure if it was, uh, I used to do uh, very similar. Uh, I used to do things on four-track cassette. Yep. That he would then salvage. Right. And then eventually uh, it, it became me going to his place and we would just record things because his studio is fantastic. Mm. Um, but uh, I think it might have been Loudspeaker was the, was the first bona fide production. Because, and so this was a whole series of, of uh, Sydney artists, uh, Steve Kilby, Phil Free, uh, myself and a few others, uh, where we were doing word on groove. Right. It was really just walking into the studio, hearing the track and putting your poetry with the track. Mm. So Boris and I have always had this... Uh, uh, no, actually, I've got to go back a bit. Boris actually first, before we started working together, just he and I, he recorded some Vitabeats. Did he? Yeah, yeah. He, we recorded uh, Vitabeats uh, live to um, Dat Tape, mm -hmm. and the band was uh, uh, Paul Mason on bass. Paul Mason, who went on to become music director at Australia Council, right. has only just recently uh, moved on from there. Um, he And so we recorded then, uh, we recorded live with Boris a few times like that. So those demos are still unearthed. Right. They're just sitting as demos. I have all the recordings, but nobody's ever heard them. Right. And and we and so uh, see, Boris had a year. So that was uh, 94, 90, 93, 94. Boris Boris had the use of the Sydney Opera House recording studio mm. for a year. Mm. Because I don't know if you know that, but there is actually a recording studio in that building yeah. that 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 overlooks, uh, like Abbey Road. You know, you're up high in the room and you look down on the people below in the big open space. Yeah, that's what was set up in the opera house to say record a symphony. Yeah, but when he was recording in there, just using the recording room. What was below in the studio space was a library, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stacks of shelves full of books, right? And and resource material, reference material. I have no idea what. But that's when we made our first solo album, which was called Historic Boatshed Three. That was, <laughs> which which you'd you'd know where that sign used to be if you were going south from Sydney on the Princess Highway. You come to the turn off to Bundina. Yep. There was a sign there that said "Historic Boatshed 3. Really, <laughs> <laughs> and that became the album title. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, so you know we we're just we've just been playing with this back and forth between Sydney, Erskineville, Canimbla, and now Maroon yeah, Meadow. Wow, wow! Yeah, so it's just a driving force, Andy. What do you say? I I just I can't stop writing songs. Can you? No. No, I no. understand that. I understand that completely. So, so where does where does the songwriting pathology fit into the creativity world? Good question. 
So, so when you, when you're, so I remember we talked on the phone the other day and you were saying how, uh, you, this idea is forming for your next record. Yep. So is that a thematic thing? Are you, are you looking to write songs that are around like chapters in a book or are these themes or are these a bee that you have in your bonnet that needs to be outed? Uh, I still don't know what the answer to that is yet. It'll come because, I mean, I'm just in that research phase at the moment. So okay. it seems to me that um, every couple of years now it's going to turn out to be, yeah. I want to do one of these kind of song cycling, historical, thematic albums. Yep. Um, in between that, I'm writing and hanging out with, um, with John Kane and we did an album together of songs that... Uh, have got nothing to do with the theme. Although, as is the nature of these things, when we put all of the songs that we'd written that we wanted to record together, mm. there was a bit of a theme anyway, I guess. There was a theme of a river passing through. There was a theme of a couple of old fellas reflecting on life and, and you know, the meaning of life. Uh, so without trying, there ended up being a, a unifying theme of sorts, I guess. Mm. Um, but... Um, but yeah, uh, for this current project, I'm I'm doing a lot of reading. It 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 will be thematic. It'll be character driven. I think most likely. Um, I love this. I love this. Yeah, I the before I um, started recording or even really writing New Albion, I know I was up in Sydney for the for the three to four weeks researching at State Library. I went round to a friend's place also a songwriter and a and a creative person mm. and he said over dinner oh for god's sake tell me that you're not going to write this in some sort of linear historical kind of thing like a <laughs> freaking folk song or folk album are you and i went yeah i think that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> i walked away from dinner just going that's exactly what I'm going to do, <laughs> and I hadn't even formulated. And it you at that went, point. and you went, to, and you said, "Thanks for the, thanks for the yeah, push." Yeah, yeah. And he was just so negative about it that it was, it was. That's what I really needed. Well, that's that's so interesting because I think that you, you, um, you know, your practice, your songwriting, your your performance voice is is very much uh, in the, this country in which we live in, mm. and. To me, that's so so damn important. Mm. Which to and so precisely, that's what, where dear, dear ancestor sits as well. Oh, because deep. because we're we're in this time where we've kind of been, I think we've been pushed off kilter regarding our national picture of ourselves. Oh, completely. Yeah. You know, we've yep. been just subsumed into this global swish and. Uh, yeah, so actually it's funny. When I, when I listen to my Australian students, a lot of them speak like Americans now. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Which I, I kind of go, well, we better just nip that in the bud mm. because, uh, as uh, the great Graham Turner says, uh, the Australian accent is one of our greatest cultural achievements. Yeah. Like, mm. seriously, who else in the world knows how to speak like an Australian. <laughs> That's right. Like nobody, nobody gets it. Quite unique. It's totally unique. Mm. And I, I think that's something uh, that we have to revalue, mm. uh, you know, as part of this uh, Armageddon reckoning that we're in the middle of. Yeah, well, we're at a point where we could, um, we could totally decide how it is we're going to define ourselves. And I, I actually I feel like um, we've, we've never in the history of this country ever understood who we are or how we came to be here, not any yeah. truthful yeah. understanding. Oh, of that. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and in, during, during my uh, PhD research, uh, speaking to my friend Russell Webster from Shining Bird over in Austinmere, he 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 said it's just a don't go there subject mm. for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. The minute the minute that you sort of say, "So who are we?" People look at you and go, "Why do you want to talk about that?" We know who we are, mm. and I go, "Do you? Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you, have you actually thought for a second? Yeah. Because we're we're going to get to a point." Um, 
God bless uh, Queen Elizabeth II, mm. uh, uh, with, with a change in the monarchy, how, how is Australia suddenly going to feel uh, about, no, about giving allegiance to whoever comes next? Mm. That's like, right. isn't that time passing for us? Yeah, yeah. Where we're actually going to go, I know we're far away and we're on this island completely connected digitally to everywhere in the world in a, in a microsecond. Mm. But um, there's something about who we are, where we are, the way that the weather is, the way the place smells, the way the animals are, the where the flora and fauna is, all these things that is no, not like anybody else. And we mm. should be extremely proud and and use that as part of our process. Mm. Like why? Why isn't it? Why isn't it a natural thing? Why? Why? Well, you and I know uh, all kinds of songwriters who who do speak this gospel, but you wouldn't necessarily find them on uh, commercial playlists. No, no. And uh, to me, that's the that's the other part of the reckoning is when when. Because I, I felt it when I, when I was uh, away in Los Angeles at the turn of the 80s. I was, I, through a bunch of reasons, uh, demos that we made in Los Angeles found their way back to Sydney and that paved the way for us coming to Australia and creating Vitabeats. It was all about family. It was all about getting married. It was all about um, uh, wedding presents. <laughs> and uh, to, to me, uh, Australia really had a powerful Australian identity going during the late 70s, right through the 80s, right up to probably the year 2000, mm. musically. Mm. But with the arrival of digital, with the, with the um, total democrat democracy of the arrival of digital music it actually became very easy to sort of say well i don't have to be from anywhere now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which to a lot of australians that's a that's um a, tr- a great promise mm-hmm. like wow i can just be here living in this absolute shangri-la of a place called australia and i don't have to have, i don't have to actually be here Mm. I can I can just be somewhere in the cloud with my material and the stuff that I make, yeah. and I, I I don't think that that's I don't think that's enough. No, no. It, I, I, heartening for me, I think, is that some of those artists who have made good on the international stage, many of them haven't had to sacrifice their Australianness, you know. And, and I was that, even we were watching Sia the other night on yeah yeah. TV. Great example. Or Courtney Barnett. Great know? example. Great example. Um, who they are just they're unashamedly Australian. Well, that's that's part of their, the story. Really. Well, that's their global success. To yeah, me, yeah, they are successful in the eyes of Americans because they are unique. Yeah, and right there, Andy, is is actually what creativity is. Yeah, the fact that Courtney, she sang her experience. She took that experience to the live stage, went on and somehow managed to play on American um, talk shows, mm. and the next thing she knows, she's an international Australian star. Mm. But I don't know if 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 her if the affection is the same for her in this country. Yeah. I'm not sure. No, I don't know. I'd like either. to know. I'd mm. like to know what what Australians really think of her. And to me, a lot of people. They just don't like hearing the Australian accent in song. Mm. I uh, love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, um, and I love uh, our friend, our friend uh, uh, Brendan Gallagher. He 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 says, you know, people hear recordings and they say, why uh, of the Australian accents? They go, why do you want to sing in that ugly accent? Mm. And I don't think when you think of of music and song. In its mother tongue, Ireland, Southern America, uh, Italy, a- anywhere, that's to me, that's what I'm listening for. I want to hear the person, where the person is coming from mm-hmm. in that song. Mm. 
What a lovely discussion, though. I feel like we could quite happily go on for another hour or more. It, it's it's <laughs> the, the never-ending story. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and here's to plenty more of it. But I so appreciate you having a chat with me. Thank you so much, Andrew. You're very welcome. Best of luck with Dear Ancestor. Thank you so much. Onwards. Well, you've been listening to Getting It Down, conversations about creativity. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and please tell your friends about it. That'd be lovely. Remember to subscribe and join us for the next exciting episode.